We're going to be in John chapter 9 today. John 9, 39. It says this, And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray for the lost. And God, as we start thinking about the many people who need to know you, stir in us a desire to see more people come to know Christ. Teach us this teach us this, this morning, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There's a nonprofit organization called Mars One, and their main goal is to have a, Mar- a colony on Mars by 2027. They, they want to, they, they plan to send four pioneers to Mars, and then every two years send another four, and, and eventually have a colony there on Mars. And they, they have to be resourceful people, they'll have to be the colony's chefs and farmers and doctors and engineers, they'll have to do everything there. And the most striking requirement for being part of this job is going in knowing that there will be no return trip. You're going to Mars and you're going there to die. So other people can get established. It's a one-way trip and it takes seven months and it costs a small fortune to go, but the volunteers will need to die on Mars. And despite that obstacle, they've had no trouble attracting people who want to be part of this. They had 200,000 applicants that were sent to, to them to, to be considered to be these four people who would be the first to go. They've went through a lot of screening. They whittled those down to 1,058. They whittled those down to 660, and they finally, last I heard, had 100 people that they're considering to send on a one-way trip to Mars. One finalist, her name was Leela Zucker. She's an emergency room physician. She said, um, we, she, she wants to be as famous as Neil Armstrong, and she said, we can't stay on this planet forever, which I'm like, why, why not? Anyway, um, but we can't stay on this planet forever, I would argue. Let's go now. And other applicants, they're, they're just as enthusiastic, and they view this mission as a way to unite all of humanity, and, and this, they see it as this transcendent cause that will just bring the world together. And on the website, it says this, Once on Mars, there's no means of return to Earth. Mars is home. A grounded, deep sense of purpose will help each astronaut maintain his or her psychological stability and focus as they work together toward a shared and better future. 
There are people that are willing to die for their mission. They are willing to uh, sacrifice everything for their cause. They are ready to do it. Then that mission would be the first people on Mars. And they believe it is urgent and they believe it's worth the risk. And when you have a mission that is urgent, you are willing to sacrifice and, and do what it takes to make sure that mission continues on. And so for several weeks, I've been preaching on uh, the series, Our Urgent Mission. Jesus gave us this mission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission. It is to make disciples. That is our mission. We do that by going. We do that by baptizing. We do that by teaching. But it is the mission that he gave us. He told us one thing, do that. Go and make disciples. And he said to do it throughout the whole world. And our mission is more urgent and more important than going to Mars because our mission has people's eternal souls at stake. And so we, we have to take that uh, uh, urgently and, and it's important and sacrifice what it, what it might take. And so I wanted to spend some time to t- today talking about how urgent our mission is. We've talked about how we're shaped for this. God cared for us and loved us enough to make us who we are so that we could uniquely bring people to Christ. We talked about praying for this mission. But I wanted to talk about how urgent it is that we engage the lost and not has some sort of, of guilt trip that by the end of the day you just feel so bad that, that you just feel worthless. But it's just to remember what we are doing. Why do we gather together once a week and hear the word? And why do we grow in our faith? And why do we give to mission funds and give in the offering? And why do we do Youth Appreciation Day and back to school days and give out cookies at Thanksgiving? And why do we do what we do? And I'm hoping we can go away with a better understanding. In the Scripture, blindness was always equated with lostness. That's in the New Testament. A lot of times, that is what it's talked about. And in the Old Testament, it's, it's said over and over again, the only person who would ever be able to cure blindness is the Messiah. For example, if you look in Isaiah 42.1, it says, Behold, my servant, whom I am uphold, my chosen one, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He's talking about the chosen one in, in Isaiah 42.1. And we look further in that chapter, and he says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you and appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. There is this real image of being in dark and being in blindness, and the Messiah is going to come and bring sight and light into people's lives. It goes on in Isaiah 42, 16. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. Over and over in the Old Testament, the Messiah was going to bring sight to the blind. And there was a real physical aspect to it in the Old Testament. They weren't just talking 
talking spiritually, although that was intonated as well. And so we read this passage in John 9 where we started today. And it's an incredible story. Jesus and his disciples come across a man who is blind. And the Jesus, I mean, all the disciples say to Jesus, Who sinned because this man's blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Who is God punishing because this guy is blind? And, and Jesus said, No, it, that's, you, you're asking the wrong question. He is blind so that God's glory can be revealed. And so he spits on the ground. How'd you like this, being a blind man? Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and starts shoving it into the guy's eyes. Right? And then he says, go and wash. And for the first time since this guy was born, he could see. He was blind, and then he could see. And, he, and it just so happened that Jesus did this on a Sabbath. And it wasn't that he had cured a blind man. It was that he did it on the Sabbath and the Pharisees were very angry with him. And so they pursued him and, and found this man and they said to Jesus, who, who did this to you? And he says, uh, I don't know, some guy spit in my eyes and I could see. And they said, well, where did he come from? And what is he? And they start asking him all these questions. He's like, I don't know anything about it. And then he says this, it's the most famous line in a, in a song we sing. He says, oh, this is what I know. Once I was blind, now I see, right? It was Jesus who did that. No one else in Scripture can heal blindness. And he did it to show that he is here to cure spiritual blindness. You could maybe say that the guy who went to Paul and, touched and helped him and his scales fell off, but he didn't really heal him. He just did what God told him to do. But Jesus here it cures the blind man. And anybody who knows the Old Testament, the, namely the Pharisees, should have seen this guy as the Messiah because he's cured someone who is blind and only the Messiah would do that. They rejected him. And so Jesus says, listen, I've came to make sure people could see. And they said, are we blind as well? And essentially Jesus says, yeah, you kind of are. Because you can see physically, but you cannot see what's going on spiritually. And he says, they were spiritually blind. But this blind man who could see and place his faith in Christ, all of a sudden he was not blind. Not only physically he could see, but spiritually he could see as well. So here's the whole crux of that story. The blind man who was seen as a sinner, because of Jesus' touch in his life, he could see. And he was forgiven, and he worshipped the Messiah. And the religious folks who say they could see, they were really the blind ones because they were rejecting Jesus' work, the power of the Father that, that, that was working through Jesus. So they couldn't accept this miracle. So there's many people in the world, they say they have 20-20 vision, and they're actually spiritually blind. Even the religious, sometimes even us, sometimes we're just blind to the lostness of this world. Sometimes we're blind to what God is doing in this world. And, and that's what we're talking about today. Let's pray that God begins to open our eyes a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not castigating all of us. I'm just simply saying, 
wouldn't we want to see more of what God is doing so that we could join him in on it? And so we want to see, want to see more. So first, I'm going to talk about opening our eyes to see the world as God sees it. Opening our eyes to the world as God sees it. See, some of our blindness comes in the form of not understanding how vast lostness is. Because a lot of times, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, I hang around a lot of Christians. I'm with you guys a lot of times, and I tend to forget that there's people who are not kind and gentle and sweet like you all are, but there's lost people out there who need Jesus that may not understand some of our language and may not understand some of the things that we do. So if I, if I were to ask you if the world has heard the gospel story, what would you think? Has the world heard this? And you might be thinking, a lot of people around the world have, most of the world has, you might be thinking in that way. But there's groups like this uh, group called the Joshua Project, and they kind of gauge how much the, the gospel has been permeated out into the world. And so they, instead of talking about nations or countries or continents, they talk about people groups. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit here. So, so just track with me. There's going to be some statistics and stuff, but just, just track with me. They say a people group is this. An ethnic people group is a significant large grouping of individuals who perceive to have a common affinity for one another because of their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, occupation, class or caste, situation, etc., or a combination of these. So it, it might be people who are living in France, but they're not French. They share a different language. Um, and, and they, they gather together and they live together there and they speak their own language. They have a different culture than the French culture and, and they would consider that a people group. And then the French in France would be another people group. So they, they would count it that way. In other words, this is another way they say it. The largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So you're in France, you're sharing the gospel in France, and, and you're seeing people come to Christ, and you come across this other group that doesn't speak French, and there's a barrier there to share. And they say, at that barrier, that's another people group. Or there's a different religion, and they won't, they won't get along in that particular country. For example, Ireland, those that are Catholic and Protestant, they might consider those two different people groups. So I'm just trying to tell you, this is, how they, this is how mission strategists look at the world. They look at people groups. And they said, there are 7 billion people in the world, give or take. And in those 7 billion people, there are 17,000 people groups in this world. That's what they are. That's kind of how they group this world. 17,000 people groups. So the question is, how can you tell which people group has heard the gospel which ones need the gospel, which ones, whatever. You, which ones do we engage? 
In the 1990s, mission strategists settled on this criteria, and they said that people group that has less than 2% of the population that is true Christians, that would we, we would call an unreached people group. So less than 2% of the population. And they said that of the 17,000, there are 7,000 people groups that have less than 2%. They, if they had five, they're not considered unreached. That's still a really low reaching point. You get what I'm saying? So 7,000 people groups in this world have less than 2% of those people actual believers in Christ. And if you took the population of those people groups, they're estimating that it's nearly 3 billion people. About 42% of the world live in these people groups that are not reached for the, reached for the gospel. 42 billion people. I mean, 3 billion people. That is, a, that is a lot. Now, the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, they believe that over 3,000 of these people groups, of these 7,000, they're unengaged, which means they have no missionary going there. They don't have a Bible in their own language. They don't have a church planning work going on there. That they are unengaged, unreached people groups. 3,000 of these people groups. And there's 2 billion people in those people groups that nobody is out there reaching. And it's because they're the hardest people to reach. These are the Muslims that will kill you if you go preach the gospel in their language. These are the places where you'll be arrested if you mention the name of Christ or try to Christianize people is what they'll call it. There is a lot of people in this world. It is the pe- people like in India where there is a billion people like right in India or whatever it is, and, and most of them are Hindu. 29% of the world's population live in people groups that are unengaged with the gospel message. And I'm not trying to impress you with numbers, but I want you to get the vastness of lostness. This is just those that live in 2% or less or unengaged at all. We're not talking about people groups that have only 30% that are Christians. And you think about all this, and then think about this. In 2011, they estimated that 1,000, sorry, 151,600 people from around the world die every day. Every day, 151,600 people die across the world. I, I don't know how they estimate that. That's what they estimated. If 29% of them, which is the same amount of people who are unengaged, never heard the gospel... That means there's 44,000 people every day that die without hearing Christ. And if you take that over a month, that's 1.3 million people every month who die without the gospel being told to them. You take that over the year, that's 16 million people every year, that's, I mean every, every year, that's dying without hearing Christ. And that's the population, look at that, of Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, and Nebraska combined. This lostness is pervasive. And it's a lot of people. And these are those who have presumably never heard. 
They live in people groups that are not being shared with. Again, I'm not trying to give a guilt trip on you, but I want to paint a picture of the urgent mission because Jesus says, I want you to take the message of the gospel to the whole world, to these people. And so you might, it might be overwhelming. You're like, I can't reach 16 million people a year. I know I can't. So how do we reach 16 million people? Well, first, and, and it might be the easiest, but, but listen, part of it is our offering. Now, I'm not preaching to give more, but I just want you to know, every dollar that you put in to the offering plate, 6.5% goes into what's called the cooperative program. 6.5% of every dollar. Some of that goes to our state, and I mean, all that goes to our state, and then some of that stays in our state, and some of it's sent on to different things. Steve Hoekstra is going to come in a couple of weeks and, and share what, how powerful the cooperative program is to reach this world for Christ. But some of that is, is that. Some of it goes to train missionaries and seminary students. Some of it goes to international mission boards. Some of it goes here in, in America to, North, uh, to the North American mission board. Some of that money, so that's, that's, that's 6.5% that, that every dollar you give goes there. Another 3.5% goes to our association, which stays here in our county or, or maybe just a little bit outside our county to help church planners here reach people. We, we're going to be supporting, if, if it's, we'll have our annual meeting next Saturday and we'll be voting on the budget. And if that goes through, we'll be supporting a church that, that's held in four by fours up on the side of the mountain. They'll go and do church and then they'll go four, four wheeling with, with people. I'm like, how do I get? How do I sign up for that church? But um, they, they, they are, th- that there's people out in the mountains on Sunday, and so we're going to where they are at to do church. We've got a church plant in Crawford. We got a church plant in Hotchkiss. We got a church plant in Delta. We have a church plant in Nor- well, it's not a church plant, but we have a church in Norwood. We have one in Olathe, and and we support our uh, Spanish-speaking church plant through the association and through. Our church, we just we we are helping these people reach people who need to know Christ. We take a mission offering throughout the year. Um, the Annie Armstrong and, and Lottie Moon that supports over seventy seven hundred missionaries to go to these places like that. We directly support Colleen Harvey. I'm saying one of the things is giving. We when we give, it's not just holding on to our money. This church gives over ten percent, something like twelve percent or so to go out into the world to reach other people for Christ. Second thing, part of our prayer is not uh, we, we can pray we can give and we can pray. And part of that prayer is Luke 10, 2. Jesus says, I was saying, he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to, her, to his harvest. So we, we, we need to ask. The word beseech is to desire, to long for, to beg. God, please bring people into the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. We need workers to go and pluck the harvest. Some of us can't go to some of these tough places. 
But God is working, and we can pray for him to go out there. But there are people here still in dark places in our city and county, and we can go there. And so we pray for the Lord of the harvest, but when we pray, we should remember what Isaiah was asked when, when, uh, God was, when he was talking to God as well, Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard a voice in the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And we should be re- ready to respond like Isaiah, Here am I. Send me, right? We need to be prepared for that. We can be involved. Our church is increasingly being involved in missions, and, and it might be God is leading you to maybe participate on a mission trip. And we'll Hopefully, we'll have some different levels of, of trips so that you can be engaged. And you said, I've never been on a mission trip. I don't know what to do. And, and God, everyone's got to go a first time, right? I mean, if you go the first time, you will end up loving it and wanting to go more. Fourth way to impact the lost is to be trained to do it. To two things that stop people from sharing their faith is that they are either afraid or they don't know what to say. And being trained connects those two up. If, if you are trained, you know what to say, and so you're ready for it. And the more you do it, the less you are afraid. And so we're going to hopefully provide some training here this fall and winter so that we can help people know how to share Christ. And all I'm trying to say is that we should open our eyes just a little bit to see the world as God sees it, and he sees spiritual blindness, and it's pervasive. We're talking about just some specific people groups, but there could be even United States has got so many lost people that it would... Um, there's other countries sending missionaries here. I mean, we, we, there, there is lostness everywhere. And so I don't want to leave you on a down note. I don't want you to think, man, things are just terrible. But I want you to also open, your, open our eyes to, to God's work in this world. Because we could get bogged down. And our, when we all start opening up our eyes to seeing the lostness and just start feeling terrible that, you know, Every year, 16 million people may be dying, maybe more, who have never heard the gospel. That could weigh heavy on our hearts. But here's the good news. God's power and God's love will win people to Christ. It is God who brings people to Christ. There was one statistic that said, and I, I don't know, it was, it was you know, on the internet, so you know it's true. Um, the one... <laughs> The one statistic said that there were 2.7 million people coming to Christ every year. That's almost the population of Kansas. Every year, they're coming to Christ. And I'm understanding that that's increasing. It's not keeping up with population growth. But I've heard like since China, since in, 19, in 1949, there's been over 63 million people who've come to know, come to know Christ in, in China. And that number with the underground church I'm, I'm hearing is just increasing and exploding. In places where God is outlawed, God says, yeah, watch this. I can walk in and do whatever it is I want to do. And he changes hearts for Christ. Pew Research says that there is 2.19 billion Christians worldwide. And by 2050, there'll be 3 billion I think that might be a low estimate. 
But that's anticipating 810 million Christians coming to, people coming to Christ in the next, say, 30 years. That's great. The population will grow by 2 billion plus. So we might be falling behind. But, but we... But God is going to work in people's lives. God is going to bring people to Christ. He's going to move people to to share the gospel with other people, and those people are going to come to know Christ, and that's what we need to focus on. God is working in this world. In the hearts of every person, He is working. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Peter echoes the fact that God wants everyone to turn to him. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we say things have gone, gone wrong. Why doesn't God just come and judge this world? We look at the world and we say, we are, we are just kind of sick of things, and it is, it is kind of bad out there. Why doesn't God just come and judge? And Paul tells us in Romans 9, 22 and 23, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? He's saying, what if God is waiting to judge because he is patient toward those who don't know Christ out there. He says he, he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. God is not judging the world right now because he is still working in the hearts of people, drawing them to himself. And in other passages, it says he has called us to be the tool that goes to these people and he uses, he speaks through us to bring them to Christ. But he is doing the work and he wants us to be willing vessels to go and share the gospel. He's calling people to repent and turn from their sin. Even in the Old Testament, where we think God as kind of this wrathful God, it says in Isaiah 18, and I'll just skip to verse 32, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. He doesn't want this. He doesn't want people to die without him. It is his desire that people come to him and he is working in the hearts of every man, woman, child, whoever we see out there. God is working in their life in a particular way so that when they encounter us, they are receptive, a little more receptive to the gospel than maybe last time. He puts us in these people's paths. He says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He's made everything appropriate in his time. Listen what it says. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work of which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Every person looks up into the sky, maybe. I don't know. Looks at the vast mountains. Look at the intricacies of birds or flowers, and something stirs within them. And that is God 
has placed eternity in their hearts and they say there's more than this. There is more that we need. And so they start looking for the more and we have the answer in the gospel. says in Acts 14, 16, and 17. Bear with me with some of these verses, but they're important to, to catch on to. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God always leaves a witness for himself. You might think this person is so deep in darkness and lostness, he could never see Christ. And he says, I always have a witness. I can work in anyone's life I want to. And he will work in that person's life to draw them to them. And it says in John twelve thirty two, Jesus says, And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Our mission is great, and it's massive, and it's urgent to bring lost people to him. If you were, if there was a thousand people, there was a thousand people who shared the gospel with one person every day. Let's just think about this. At the end of the year, every day, these thousand people shared the gospel with one person. If my math is right, I'm not sure my math is right, it'd be 365,000 people at the end of the year. And they did that again and again and again. In 26 years, there would be a total of 9,490,000 people. And you say, that'd be a lot of people. Yes, but if there was one person who shared the gospel with one person and invested in that person's life over, let's say, the course of a year, so by the end of the year, that person was now ready to share their faith, and so these two people shared with one person And over the course of the year, they trained each of those people, training one person, so that at the end of the year, there'd be four people who are ready to share their faith. And they just continued that, investing in one person a year over the course of the year. At the end of 26 years, instead of 9,400,000, you'd have 33,472,512. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's the the math, apparently. my, my point is, I'm not asking you to reach 16 million people. I'm not asking you to, to even have a thousand people a day. Or winning a person to Christ every day. But one. Who's your one? One person that you could invest in and over the course of the year eventually develop a relationship that you could share the gospel they come to know christ you'd help disciple them walk with them help them understand the gospel so by the end of the year they're ready to share who's your who's your one that is what christ is asking us to do i'm gonna have you bow your heads and think i don't know you might say i'm not going to be here in 25 years so i can't do this You know what, if you do it for five years, that's more people than zero. Who's your one?
God, we come to you and, and realize that we live in a world that has rejected you. And it is only by your grace and someone coming and sharing with us that we are not counted among them. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Christ. God, the, the issue of lostness is vast. And you have called your church to be the warriors who go out and be used by you to push back that darkness. Only you can open the eyes of the blind. But God, you call us to be the, the vessel, the tool that you use. So God, I pray that right now you would lay on our hearts a person. Maybe this is a person who recently came to know Christ. Maybe it's a person we've talked to and we know they're close to coming to know Christ. Or maybe it's a person you've laid on our hearts and they are far from you. But Lord, you are telling us, commit to them. Commit to building a relationship. Share the gospel with them. Be, be the example. Let God's love shine through you. God, whoever that is on our hearts, I pray that we would commit to share the gospel with them and disciple them so that we would see more worshipers of you. That's what we're looking for. You want more worshipers, and we want what you want. Speak to our heart now. Stir in our hearts and minds, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.